Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Would you please turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians as we continue to go through this letter to the Church of Corinth written by the Apostle Paul. We'll pick up this week where we were two weeks ago before Easter. Easter, we went into chapter 15, which is where the Apostle Paul turns away from the issue of how to worship to the issue of the resurrection of the dead in Christ. And so it was fitting that we would start with chapter 15 on Easter when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, our Lord. This week, we go back and finish up the previous chapter, which is the end of all the instructions on worship. So please read along with me as we read the last uh, few verses of chapter 14. This is the word of God, and it is eternally true. What is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue... It should be by two or at the most three, and each in turn, and one must interpret. But if there is no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment. But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets, for God is not a God of confusion but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. The women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves, just as the law also says, If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Was it from you that the word of God first went forth, or has it come to you only? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. But if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, and do not forbid to speak in tongues. But all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of every heart present be acceptable. In your sight, you who are our Lord and Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. So the Apostle Paul is bringing this section on worship to an end. You remember last week we looked at chapter 15 on the resurrection, but we're back in 14, and it's been an extended section talking about the disorder and the lack of peace and the lack of edification going on in the church of Corinth at this time. There were people using their gifts to get a leg up on each other, to be proud, to... um, to show their superiority to other people. And principally, this was being done by them demonstrating that they had the Holy Spirit's anointing on their life to speak in tongues, to give prophecies, whatever it was. And so it was just, it was, it was a monkey's cage. You know, you ever been at the zoo and there's a ton of monkeys in there and they're pinching each other and running and attacking other kids, other people's children. It's just, it's a zoo. You know, it's like a bunch of little kids in a room. That's what it was. There was not order and there was not peace. And consequently, where there's not order and not peace, guess what happens? You ever looked in a monkey cage? If you have a mother nursing her child and all of a sudden the place is chaos and all the monkeys are running, what does the mother do? The mother goes like this and takes the monkey and turns away and tries to shelter her money. There's no feeding going on anymore. Because now the mother has to be concerned about the well-being of her child. This is the reason why it's a blessing to have peace and order and concord. And this is a principle that's very important in worship, right? In worship, we're to have things done decently and in order. I think it's the favorite phrase for Presbyterians in all of Scripture. In fact, I have a book in my library, and the book's title is Decently and in Order. All right. 
The reason, though, isn't because we worship decency and order. The reason is that we want the mother to be able to feed her child. We want all the sheep safe in the sanctuary when they're being fed so that they'll take in the milk of the word of God. Have you ever noticed how obnoxious it is to be in a worship service where somebody's trying to demonstrate their superiority to everybody else? Have you ever noticed that? It can be a musician. Musicians are over the top when they do it. And it's obvious to everyone that does it. And that's the issue in the Corinthian church is that it's about the guy up front. It's about the guy with tongues. It's about the guy with prophecy. And I suppose that you could be induced to give him your money every week as your tithe. I suppose that you could be induced to buy him a nice beamer. I suppose he could live in Carmel. I suppose that he could be referred to as Dr. Bailey. He could get at the terminal degree. I suppose the guy could be a speaker at conferences. I suppose that he could have his book published by Oxford or Cambridge. I suppose the church could be led by people like this. But why? You know, do we really need idols to worship? Will the children really grow up to honor and love God when church is all about the superiority of the gift of the man in the pulpit? How much I try to get us to stop having celebrity culture in the church. It just destroys our children. It destroys them. And yeah, it is true that I make a fool of myself and I sin publicly. And sometimes I don't do it intentionally, but sometimes I do. Because I don't think it's a bad price to pay to have me have your disgust if I can inoculate you against expecting that your preachers are superior to you. In fact, I don't mind if you think I'm your inferior. I think that's actually healthy. Because then you're united in humility. And you're safe and you feed the pure milk of the word. Okay? So this is what's going on in the church and the Apostle Paul's trying to shut it down. Have any of you ever thought about the Apostle Paul's public persona? Have you, any of you thought about the image of the Apostle Paul? Have any of you thought about what he would look like speaking at a Gospel Coalition conference? Any of you thought what his picture would look like on the back of a book or on Amazon? You ever thought about this? Have ever, any of you ever thought about what blurbs he'd have in his books? From J.I. Packer saying, what, 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 oh, this is the best book on dragonflies in northern Wisconsin that he's ever read in his life. You know something? If the Apostle Paul came to the church today, everybody would be utterly disgusted with him. Everybody would think that he was really not quite the man that we thought he was when we read the New Testament. But that's because we read the New Testament stupidly. Because if you read what the Apostle Paul writes, it doesn't bear any resemblance to what anybody writes today. It's so direct and practical and straightforward and insulting women are to be silent in the church. Have you noticed anybody writing women are to be silent in the church today? You know, there was nobody writing it in Paul's time either. Because women weren't silent in the church. That's why he wrote it. <laughs> you haven't thought about that, had you? You know, can't you just imagine certain pastors from New York City explaining to Paul how, how much better it would be if he were to say this or that about women being silent in the church? That actually what he, he meant to say, he doesn't realize this, 
You know, it's like when my dad spoke up and afterwards, the young bucks that were running the church, you know, the pastors, explained to my father what, what infelicitous word choices he had made. They told him not to use this word and not to use that word when he preached it. And so guess what? My wise older father said, that's it, I'm never going back. Why? Because he was in a snit? No. Because he knew any church that treated an older elder the way he had been treated was not a church that he wanted to bless with his wisdom and counsel. So he never went back. You imagine how we would lecture the Apostle Paul today about how he ought to use his gifts. (laughs) His word choices, his rhetoric, his posture, what he ought to wear, and where he ought to do it. Certainly the Apostle Paul would not be south of the Mason-Dixon line. I mean, that's the embarrassing part of the United States of America, right? He would never be wasted on Bedford. You know, I smile because this, these are my thoughts. You know, I can't even imagine the Apostle Paul wasting his time on Terre Haute. You know, really, even Spencer. They've got a good Mexican restaurant, but I mean, oh, and they have a good place to buy trailers. Can't you just imagine the lectures and, and, and the finishing school that the church in America today would like to send the Apostle Paul through? He's not ready for the debutante ball. He's not quite, quite ready to be released in public. Women should be silent in the church. Oh, Paul. Look, you don't mean the church. What you actually mean is when there is a disagreement between you and your wife and you're in the privacy of your home and there's a need for tie-breaking authority, Maybe there. And then in church, it's only talking about when you're it's only talking about when you're actually have somebody preaching, and then you need to judge his preaching, which would only happen in an elders meeting. And it would be good to have women in the elders meeting to give their perspective. But then when it comes, all the discussion's over, and the women have had their part in the discussion, and then when all the discussion's over, and it's time to actually take a vote and decide whether or not what Paul said was right or wrong, then at that particular point, right there, right, right there, then at that point, women should be silent in the church. Come on, people. Did you ever have a child who demonstrated through everything he or she did that he was a rebel? When he was told that he could not have a cookie, then he asked for a cracker. And then he asked for celery. And then he asked if he could eat a watermelon seed. My point is, you start with what you really want, and then you keep working your way down. Your mother said, no, you may not have a cookie because it's almost dinner time, Right? But what you do is you then keep negotiating and negotiating and negotiating. If you have a good father or mother, what the father and mother says to you is, I said no. They don't have a different discussion every time a new item of food is brought up. But that's what the church today is doing with women are to be silent. And so here's the Apostle Paul. He's dealing with a church where everybody's proud and everybody's using their their gift to whoop up on everyone else. The women aren't silent. The women are not showing their subjection to men. We don't have the people speaking in tongues being interpreted. We don't have them speaking one by one so you can hear them. We don't have the prophets being judged. It's just this, it's just this, this cacophony. It's this like incredible, disgusting confusion and disorder. Why? Well, because everybody is oppressing everybody else for the sake of their pride. That's why. And that's what the Apostle Paul is dealing with. 
Now, the Apostle Paul is a good father because the Apostle Paul is real specific. The Apostle Paul doesn't just say, you know, come on, people, smile on one another. Everybody get together. Let's love one another right now. The Apostle Paul says, listen, dudes, two, at most three. You know, he gets real, like, numerical, real tight, typical of men, numerical and tight, (laughs) you know? And so he says, two, at most three, speak in tongues. Okay? And, And by the way, when you speak in tongues, you're to be interpreted. And by the way, if there isn't an interpreter, then you may not speak in tongues. So only two or three can speak in tongues, and they have to be interpreted. Otherwise, tongue speakers are to be what? Silent. And then he moves to prophecy, and he says again, two, maybe three, and if somebody gets a prophetic word and another guy's speaking, let him be silent. And it doesn't mean that you can just have people interjecting themselves. You know, you're sitting, Alex is sitting there, and Alex all of a sudden interrupts me. No, the idea is that Alec indicates to me that he needs to speak because he's been given a prophetic word. And so I then, when I'm able, bring it to a conclusion and cede the chair to him. You know, if you've ever been in a student senate meeting or something, you know, yield the chair, I yield my speaking time to Alex. And so here's the Apostle Paul, two or three speaking in tongues. They have to be interpreted, otherwise silence. Prophets, two or three, they have to do one by one. And then he says they have to be judged. Okay? Go ahead, put it up, please. Okay. See this? Let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment. I am doing what we believe is prophecy today. Calvin calls it the word of God. When the pastor preaches, it is the word of God to the community. Okay? Let the others pass judgment. Now, do I get judged when I speak prophetically, which is what I'm doing here, not pathetically, I hope, but prophetically, all right? And when I, when I speak, am I getting judged? Well, we know it's appropriate for me to get judged because it says, let them be judged, right? Who judges me? The elder's job is to judge my preaching. Okay? The elders, I should, as a preacher, always live in fear of the elders and their judgments. Which really means that I live in fear of the elders' wives' judgments. Most pastors live and die at the hands of the elders' wives, not the elders. Did you know that? The, the, the person that can fire the pastor quickest is the church secretary. Did you know that? It's true. So the Apostle Paul is dealing with spiritual gifts in the context of worship, and he's very specific, and he gives rules. The rules are two or three, not four. The rules are one by one. The rules are interpretation and judgment, And what is the purpose of that? Keep going one more, please. The purpose of that is... No, go go back up, I'm sorry. One more. Yeah, no, 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 no. Stop there. The purpose of it is verse 31. For you can all prophesy so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. Okay? And then go up one more. Up, up, okay, let all things be done for edification, the end of verse 26. So for edification and so that all may be built up and all may be exhorted, okay? Exhortation, building up, peace, unity, purity, drink the pure milk of the word. That's the goal, all right?
Listen, it's deep in our DNA. It's deep in our prejudices and sentiments. It's deep in our emotions. It's deep in our culture. That willy-nilly is the way to make love. Okay? Remember Haight-Ashbury and free love and open marriage and all that stuff, you know, fornication, adultery, homosexuality. It's deep in our DNA that people need love. And that the best way to get it is for every person to get love the way they can, right? And that's why the protesting signs are, you know, you can't, you can't, what did they say? Um, well, they said something like, love is its own justification. Love needs no justification. Love needs no explanation. Love needs what? Love needs no rules. That's really what is being said. And so if you find love with animals, you find love in your, with your children, you find love with people of the same sex, you find love outside of the marriage bond, you find love before marriage, the important thing is that you get love. Well, we all agree that that's absolutely what our culture believes. You with me? Okay? The unintercoursed uh, life is not worth living. Okay, so we take love wherever we can get it. We all see, everybody see, that's what our, our, our world believes, okay? How does the church change it? Well, the church wants to put a few qualifications on that. The church isn't going to discipline the elders' children for fornication. Don't get, get me wrong. Now, I'm being facetious. We do actually discipline for fornication in this church. But you know, we're the only church within 5,000 miles that does that. I mean, it would actually discipline the children of the pastors and elders for fornicating. And you understand, that's not going on in the church today, right? Does everybody understand that? Okay? And we probably, if it's a church member and they committed adultery, we'd probably discipline that. And even in that, we'd be unusual. And we'd probably discipline pornography. We'd probably discipline sodomy, we'd probably discipline bestiality, we'd probably discipline incest. We'd probably just be normal in disciplining sexual sin in Scripture, because if you're going to discipline fornication of the elders and pastors, you're probably going to be consistent and discipline all the other ones that are much more rare. Okay? Are you all with me? But the world thinks that love needs no justification and that you get it while you can. Do what you like. Okay, come on, people now, smile on your, everybody, everybody get together. Let's love one another right now. Now, here's the other thing about the church. The church not only, the church thinks that the Holy Spirit needs no justification. The church thinks that the Holy Spirit should be able to just do what he wants anytime he wants, Right? The church thinks that if the Holy Spirit moves, it's our job to get out of the way. The church does not believe in rules when it comes to the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, the church believes that it would be sin to put constraints on the work of the Holy Spirit. Because if the Holy Spirit works, who am I to question it? But here's the problem with that. The problem is the Holy Spirit works through people. And the problem is I've never met a person, personally, I've never met a person who when the Holy Spirit works through them, they don't sin as the Holy Spirit works through them. And so the Apostle Paul is setting up all kinds of rules about how the Holy Spirit works in the church of Jesus Christ in her worship. What is it to speak in tongues? What is it to have a prophetic word? It is for the Spirit of God to dwell in you to such a degree that you actually do have a tongue, you actually have an interpretation, you actually have a prophetic word, you actually have a judgment of the prophetic word. All those things only happen in a church because of the work of the Holy Spirit. It is no justification of making love the fact that you found somebody or something to make love with. God sets parameters on love. And outside of those parameters, guess what? It's not love. 
It doesn't matter what you call it. It doesn't matter how good it makes you feel. Only in the bonds of heterosexual marriage, lifelong, is there any sexual love. Don't fool yourself. Now, move over to the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit, if it refuses to have it be two or three tongues, two or three prophets, to be interpreted of its tongues, to be judged of its prophets, to have one yield to another so it's one by one rather than a cacophony of all of one, all those rules the Apostle Paul is giving are the Lord's rules, and those rules constrain the exercise of the Holy Spirit's gifts in the assembled body of believers. And there's nothing scandalous about that because God is the God of order. Are you with me? He's not a God of disorder. And so you say, well, how can anybody rightfully judge the Holy Spirit? And I say, keep going. Keep going. Okay, now listen. Go back one. do you see this? For you can all prophesy one by prophesy one by see so you may all learn and all may be exhorted. Go ahead. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. That's a twisted statement, isn't it? It's weird. You know, it is weird. How can you have prophets subject to prophets? I mean, if somebody's prophesying, how can you have them judged, you know? What Calvin says at this point is this. He says, No one is elevated to such a height as to look down from aloft upon all others and have no one to pass judgment upon him. Okay? No one is elevated to such a height as to look down from on high upon everybody else so that no one can judge him. Listen. That is precisely what the celebrity culture is in the church today. It is made up of a bunch of men who think that they're above criticism. And it's utterly disgusting. It's utterly disgusting. You know, you would like to think that when I preach, I don't sin as I preach. I sin all the time. I am a sinner. I'm not a sinner, as some of you say, because I sin, but I sin because I am a sinner. I sin in my thoughts, I sin in my eyes, I sin sin in my words. I sin in what I don't say, and I sin in what I do say. And yet, it remains the word of God to you. (laughs) Now, that's weird. And you say, well, how do I know where you're right and wrong? And I say, well, you're a Bree, and you go home, and instead of looking at all your stupid social media, you'll, you'll actually open up the Bible. Honestly. Ugh. The one thing you know by reading social media is that nobody's looking at their Bible anymore. Because almost everything said on there lacks biblical discernment. Well, end of that little tidbit. Preachers sin while they preach. Musicians sin while they lead in worship. You sin while you sit there and listen to me. I watch your eyes because I can pretty well tell often about your sin. And, you know, I don't, almost never do I come to you afterwards and rebuke you for your sin. What I do is try to wheedle and cajole you. Why do I hug you? Well, I want you to feel very warm towards me because I find that makes you more willing to drink the pure milk of the word. (laughs) I mean, this is the most obvious thing in the world. How could you preach to people if you didn't hug them? Well, your preaching would have to get antiseptic, wouldn't it? It would have to be a cerebral download. It would have to be like the SCSI drive or the USB cable was plugged in. It would have to be devoid of any personal conviction. It would have to be devoid of any, any intensity. It would have to be devoid of any rebuke. It would have to be just an antiseptic sermon. You know, 
surgical. As a matter of fact, what would be best would be to get a good anesthesiologist that was able to put you all out before I began to preach and then wake you up when I got done. <laughs> I mean, really, wouldn't that be nice? You know? And then I wouldn't need to hug you, and I wouldn't need to tell you I love you, and I wouldn't need to love you, because you'd all be knocked out, and I could just plug in. Listen, not one person in, this, in the church of Jesus Christ is to be above rebuke, not one. The spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. What spirit is that? Is that the spirit of the prophet or is that the spirit of the Holy Spirit? Which is it that's subject to the prophets? It's both. It's both. No, the Holy Spirit can't be subject to a, to a man. Yeah. Because the Holy Spirit does not come to us unmediated. The Holy Spirit always comes to us mediated by a man. And you say, well, not when I have devotions and open my Bible. And I say, <laughs> that's where you're wrong. I know the people that translate your Bible. And they are sinning as they translate your Bible. They are robbing you of some of the very words and doctrines of Scripture by the way they translate. And you go, wait, 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 no pastor would ever say something like that because that robs us of our confidence in the word of God. And I say, no, it doesn't rob you of your confidence in the word of God. It makes you more aware of the sin of every single person in the church today so that you are tied to him. And he is king of kings and lord of lords, and I don't rob him of his glory. Every man is subject to criticism and rebuke Every man sins as he gives out to the church the pure milk of the word. Okay? And so it's entirely proper for the Apostle Paul to give us rule after rule after rule after rule about how we live. Okay? Together in worship even. Okay? Is that okay? You okay on that? You all okay on that? Okay, now women, be silent. Y'all okay with that? Aren't you speaking in worship? She said no, and earlier she said yes. This is my daughter. We're not talking about um, body language. We're not talking about nodding. We're not talking about lifting hands. We're not talking about things like that. We're talking about speaking, okay? And will it help you to accept this divine rule, this command of Jesus, that's what it is. He says, this is not me, this is the Lord. These are his rules. Will it help you to accept them, to know that I always know in my mind, in my heart, what my wife thinks of what I'm saying. I love my wife so much that I have internalized her. My wife is speaking to you all the time in worship. That's why, if there's anything about me you like, that's why you like me. Honestly. Honestly. So is my wife violating scripture? No, she's not. Why? Because she gives me her wisdom and counsel in a way that demonstrates subjection. That's the influence women have. And David Carell, if you ever want to hear the wisdom of David, you just ask him to explain how it is that a submissive wife has an unbelievable influence and power over her husband. <laughs> it's just like the most obvious thing in the world. You know, the one thing a man won't submit to, you know? It's a brash woman. You remember Jerry Clark? I ain't going to do it. Remember that, that, that comedy routine where he's in the green room with 
what he calls the she-coon of women's livers, right? And she tries to get him to sit down because when she gets in the room, there's only one chair and he's sitting in it. So he stands up to give her a chair and she has a hissy fit. She's liberating women. Every woman, some aspect of her existence, right? And she keeps telling him, you sit down! And he says, lady, I don't want to embarrass you, you know? You sit down! He won't sit down because there's one chair. And he explains to her that if he sat down on that one chair while she's in the room, he he says, my ancestors would rise up out of their graves and get me. And do you know what she does? After yelling at him a couple of times, she sits down in the middle of the room to embarrass him. On the floor. This is our world. Uh, Peggy Noonan talks about how she was there when we decided that we would not allow men to be gentlemen anymore. She said it happened on a plane one time back in the 70s when she got on the plane. This was a speechwriter for Ronald Reagan, Peggy Noonan. She's still writing. She's fantastic. And she says she was on a plane and she had a suitcase to put in the overhead bin. And some dear middle-aged businessman got up to help her put that. And she just reamed him out for trying to help her put that suitcase. You want to know what men are impervious to? It's a brash woman. They might do what you want them to do. But they're going to avoid you like the plague. Why? Because you ain't pretty. Has nothing to do with your appearance, how much you weigh. A brash woman is ugly. Do Do you understand what I'm saying? And so when a woman is feminine and lives in subjection to men, you say, oh, no, no, no. The Bible doesn't say women should live in subjection to men. The Bible says wives should obey their husbands. And okay, if I was like a comedy guy, I'd say, oh, so you are in subjection to your husband. I mean, it's a joke. You know, they say they'll give you the thing they limit you to, and then they rob you of that too. Did you notice here, the women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves, just as the law also says. Now, who are those women subjecting themselves to? Huh? Is it just their husbands? So in other words, all the single women and the widows and all the young daughters can speak in worship, just not the wives. It's it's ludicrous. Listen, the Bible has separated the sexes in such a way that women are to have a certain deference to men. That's the meaning of the word subjection here. And that the men are to have a certain uh, deference to women. And, and it's called subjection and responsibility. The man takes responsibility for the suitcase, and the woman allows him to. <laughs> Please! Oh, what a world. What a, what a nasty world we live in. What a nasty world. And the church is filled with pastors and elders and wives who are determined to make it more nasty. How do they do it? Oh, they say, the Apostle Paul isn't really saying women should be subject. You know, what he, what, if you look carefully at the meaning of that vowel E after the J right there, that vowel E is very easily combined Fused with the vowel O, you just take that little line across the middle and you bring it back around here, and then it becomes an O, and then that C, just connect it. I mean, you know, scribes are, you know, across the century, scribes are copying the Bible. You can't trust, I mean, look, what that word really means is subjute. Subjute. Haven't you heard the word subjute? I, I went to seminary. And can't you see how easily subject becomes subdue? And you know what subdue means? There was, there was a gate in Jerusalem, okay? <laughs> and this gate was called what? The eye of the needle. And... <laughs> and 
you took a camel to the eye of the needle and shoved on it real hard, you, you could barely get it in if you pulled its head down. And that act of pulling the camel's head down is called subjuction. <laughs> Women are to subjute themselves. All it means is just duck down. Come on. Come on. That's, I just read a report yesterday, and it's just filled with subjuction. You know, the PCA wrote a report on women in ministry in the church. It's just all, all subjute this and subjute that and connect the vowels here and take out that. And so what the Apostle Paul really means when he says that women are to keep silent in the churches, okay, what he actually means there is if the pastor and the elders and her husband have not commanded her to come in the pulpit and to preach... then that's subjuction, and that be prohibited. But if, this is what's said at Moody Bible Institute when I was there debating her and her husband on this issue. She said, well, I preach because my husband and my elders have told me to do so. So I'm in subjuction. That's called subjuction. <laughs> Come on, people. Come on. Can we at least let God speak to us without lying about what he said? Daddy, when I have a cookie. Did you ask your mother? Yeah, but she said that I can't ever eat again and I'm going to starve to death because, I, because I'm a bad little boy. She didn't really say that. Yeah, she did. Well, son, you just wait here. I'm going to have a word with your mother. Guess what? She didn't say it. Guess what? If we come up with some way of explaining silence in a church that means that a woman who's told by her husband and elders to preach does it, maybe, just maybe, we're not obeying the Bible. It's it's absurd. It's absolutely absurd the lengths we go to today to disobey God and then justify ourselves. Okay? Please look at this. It's clear. Women are to be silent. You say, well, but you have women get up and, and give announcements in worship about women's retreats. And I say, yep, guilty as charged. You say, see, see, you're I say, Okay, how about if we stop that? Then do you love the doctrine? Well, somehow I don't think that you're on board anymore when I say guilty is charged. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to say to you, well, that's actually not worship. You say, oh, yes, it is. It's in the middle of worship. And I say, okay, if you give us two and a half hours for every worship service, we'll have that at the beginning or end without it being in the middle of worship. Is that okay with you? It won't be okay. Because every single time you don't want to obey God, what you do is you're just like Satan in the Garden of Eden. Hath God said that you may not eat of any of the trees, of any of the fruit, of any of the trees in the garden? You know, all he'd said was you couldn't eat that one tree. But oh no, Satan blows the command up so that it's unreasonable. He lies. It is not unreasonable for women to be silent in worship. As a matter of fact, it's the most beautiful thing in the world. Why? Because it's unseemly for women to exercise authority over men. What does unseemly mean? Unseemly means ugly. And you say, are you telling me that if Hillary Clinton had been elected president, that it would have been ugly? Uh, is this a trick question? <laughs> Listen, God has made his universe in such a way that there's a beautiful dance between men and women. And we must protect the beauty of that dance. 
And that dense requires there to be a certain deference on the part of women towards men and a certain deference on the part of men towards women. And that deference shows its gorgeousness when you walk out the front door and a man opens the door for you. And it shows its beauty when your husband works himself to the bone to provide for you and your children so you can stay home and love your children. And that, that's doggone beautiful. And that also is the best predictor of academic success in your life. But forget academic success. Who gives a rip about that? It's just beautiful. What do you think all the Dutch painters were painting? Were they all painting men at work? No, that's drone territory. You make 50,000 pictures of drone bees? They're drones. <laughs> that's what men at work are. They're drones. You know? They're just like going, getting the honey, come back, going, getting the honey, come back. They don't have a choice where they go to get the honey because some other drone told them where to get the honey. But that woman is able to make every mistake she wants to in infinite variety of ways, different every single hour of the day, every day of the year, and every year of the lives of the children. She is able to be as, as, as creative and as stupid as she wants. She is able to not discipline her children or to over-discipline them. She is able to introduce them to astrology or maybe astronomy. She's able to introduce them to, to physiology. She's able to introduce them to tying their shoes. This is the beauty of man and woman together. And in the church, we're not all of a sudden becoming sexless creatures where a woman can speak, a man can speak, a woman that we try to keep a balance between the man and the woman, get the woman to speak, and then the man, get the woman to have a minority report when the man gives the majority, or even get the man to give the minority report and have the woman give the majority report. That would be true in most churches today. In the church, the woman is to be silent. Why? Because the law says it. That's the Old Testament. Adam was created first, then Eve, and because it is God's command. Now, now I'm almost done. Okay, listen. Well, two things. So I'm not almost done. But I'm almost done. Listen, when you hear the descriptions of tongues and prophecy, and it says don't forbid prophecy, or don't for forbid speaking in tongues, many of us are sitting there thinking, then why don't we have prophecy in tongues in worship? All right? Very soon after the time of the apostolic period, the church began to not have supernatural sign gifts of tongues, of prophecy, of healing, principally. Most of the church across 2,000 years has believed that the reason for that is that God poured out special gifts at that time to show that the apostles preaching Jesus and the cross and the resurrection were right and that God had his approval on them. When miracles happen, people are raised from the dead, they're healed, they, they dance at the temple. These things impress upon people that this is supernatural. And so the speaking in tongues, the prophetic words, and the healing were the way that God intensely shook the world as the church was formed in such a way that people believed the apostles' preaching. Does that mean that today we no longer have people speaking in tongues giving prophecy and healing? No. Does that mean that we should all aspire to be Campbellites? No. Campbellites are decayed. I choose my words carefully, sometimes, now. Okay? Campbellites are decayed Presbyterians. Campbellites are the Christian church. And what they decided was that they were going to recover the New Testament church in all its specificity. And the first thing they did was they threw out doctrine. They said, we're not going to have any doctrinal requirements of anybody that preaches this. Our pastors can be pastors just by telling us that God has put his hand on them to be pastors. And so immediately they said, we're not going to have any doctrinal requirements of people that preach to us. Then they said, look, it, it seems like they're taking the Lord's Supper 
all the time. So then they restored weekly communion. And then it said, baptism now saves you. And so they said, look, you're saved through baptism. They won't say that to you personally unless you're Tim Bailey talking to us and you ask him specifically. And then they'll admit, because they know I know what they believe. And they'll tell you that baptism, without baptism, you can't be saved. Now, again, you have to back them into a corner so that they admit what they actually believe, okay? And they call this restorationism. What is restorationism? Restorationism is taking everything that happened in the book of Acts and saying it must happen today. Do they have people speaking in tongues? Do they have two or three people getting up and giving prophetic words? No. I've been to a number of uh, Christian church services here in Indy, and nobody's spoken in tongues and nobody's given a prophetic word. Why? Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever watched a Benny Hinn crusade on television? All of us find that we are inconsistent at times. I don't know if you found this, but I have. We say what we believe, but then we don't really practice it. And the fact is, anybody, I'm sorry if I offend you in saying this, but it's the truth. Anybody that watches a Benny Hinn rally knows that it's hypocrisy and lying. First of all, you know it because everything's about Benny Hinn. And you know no New Testament worship was ever about the person. It just wasn't. Apostle Paul doesn't write in a way that makes you think great thoughts about him. It's hard to not contain your disgust when you read the Apostle Paul. He's just so specific and so male chauvinist piggish. And if you don't realize you think that about the Apostle Paul, that's because why? Well, it's because you're not seeing what you really think. If you hadn't read it in the Bible and you came across it and you didn't know it was the Apostle Paul, it wasn't part of the canon of Scripture, you would not like it. All right? Benny Hinn is up there in a white suit. I don't know if he's still wearing white, but he was the last time I watched him. And then, if it isn't about his white suit, what is it? It's, it's the arena. It's the pans of the thousands and thousands of people there. And then it's his what? It's his fist. Does that make you think small thoughts of Benny Hinn? Does that make you think, you know... Somebody should judge him. No, of course not. You know, you're not sitting there thinking judgments about Jenny. You're just thinking, wow, whoa, wow. And then what about the healings? There may be one or two people here, but most of you would put money on the fact that almost nobody is healed. I'm not saying nobody. But you know all those people that claim to be healed, they're not being healed. It's a show. It's much like professional wrestling. I always feel the same way watching shows like that that I feel watching professional wrestling. And what I always think when I watch these things is, I can't believe that anybody watches this, and so I'm transfixed, and I watch it, and I watch it, and I watch it. You know, I never feel like I'm the idiot. <laughs> I mean, it's mind-boggling. Listen, God doesn't need us putting on a charade like a Benny Hinn crusade in order to save his reputation that he can still heal. Do you understand that? We as elders anoint people with oil, lay hands on them, and pray for them to be healed. We do it all the time. Does that mean I believe in Benny Hinn? No, I, I abominate Benny Hinn. Because if God heals, it's not something that needs to be counterfeited. Do you understand this? I've been in charismatic services where my friend who is the pastor gets up and he gets a guy up there and he, he prays for him to be healed and then he says, now stand up and walk. He's in a wheelchair. And the guy sort of stands up and then he sort of collapses a couple of steps. And everybody's praising God? That's what we're doing. So what are we praising God for? 
It's absurd. God doesn't need us acting like we're a bunch of idiots. And a man that can't walk just got healed? And then it makes, you make it worse by saying, well, if he'll take a few steps by faith, then God will honor his faith, you know, and God will then make him able to walk. Well, he took a few steps by faith, and then he fell. Does that tell you anything? No, oh no, no. God has to do everything today that he did in the New Testament. Listen, when the Apostle Paul gives the commands. There are some of these commands that don't have application to the church today because we don't have people speaking up in public in this service in tongues. But when the Apostle Paul says that women are to be silent, he lodges it in the Old Testament law, just as the law also says, women are to subject themselves just as... And so it's in the Old Testament, and then he reinforces in the New Testament, and where do we learn in the law that a woman is to subject herself and to be silent. We learn it in the Garden of Eden prior to the fall, when Adam is created first and then Eve. There's nothing particular to time about his commands about women being silent in the church. It is the order of creation. It has application to every person who's ever lived in all times, and you say, well, but not everybody's in Christian worship, and so not everybody should be silent. Are you saying that women should be silent in the Senate and silent in the House of Representatives? Are you saying women should be silent in the court? Saying, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. That's not what it says. It says, in church. But now, I answered your question. I have one for you. When a woman's in a court and in the House of Representatives, should she demonstrate subjection? Remember, it's in the Old Testament law. Remember, it comes from the order of creation prior to the fall in the Garden of Eden. Should she live subjection? Should single women, should widows, should young girls have a certain posture towards men that demonstrates the order of creation? And boy, you know I'm right. There is absolutely no way to deny it. that's what Scripture teaches. You can go ahead and throw Scripture out, but don't you point your finger at me. Because you want to point your finger at me and tell me I'm oppressing women and I'm a male chauvinist pig? I mean, all my life it's happening. Okay, okay, fine, fine. You, you, you know how your mother used to say, okay, Mr. Smarty Pants. Okay, Ms. Smarty Pants, Mr. Smarty Pants, let's keep going. Next. Was it from you that the word of God first went forth? Okay, Mr. Smarty Pants. Did the gospel come from you? <laughs> you know. Or did the gospel come to you only? Listen, this is a Jewish man speaking. What do you think he's doing? He's rubbing your nose in it. He is making fun of you. He is putting you down because you object to him saying women are to be silent in the church. Okay, Mr. Smarty Pants, did the gospel come from you? Did it come to you only? And then listen to this. If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. <laughs> Whoa. The Apostle Paul has a serious case of a lack of sense of proportion. He seems to think a lot is at stake with women being silent. He seems to be pretty intense about this. He must be a very insecure man. <laughs> Come on, you guys. Let's grow up. Let's be men and women. Let's allow God to be God. Let's allow the order of creation to be the order of creation. Let's look for opportunities to show our faith and love for it. Instead of always trying to, well, not there, and not there, and not there, and not there, and certainly not there. And if my husband tells me that I'm to come in the pulpit, and the elders agree, and they tell me to preach, well, then I'll preach because I'm in subjection. And the whole audience at Moody Bible Institute just loved it. Remember, I keep saying, there's some things that the only people that can believe them are educated people. And then he ends, but if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. 
Do you want to be not recognized by the Apostle Paul? He's just dismissive about you. He just doesn't recognize you. You lift your hand up, he doesn't see it. You come to him afterwards and say, Paul, I, I just have... He says, sorry, don't have any time. I don't recognize you. Listen, I defy you to show me that this is not what the Word of God says. Do not patronize God. If you want to be a rebel, be an honest rebel. Take your inheritance and go, and I'll be waiting. But don't try to force me into lying about what the Bible says. Do you know who would be the first people to object if we had a woman get up and speak in our pulpit? It would be the women. I know because we've made the mistake, and did we catch it from the women of this church years ago? Okay. That's the end of the, order, the rules for worship, and we'll pick up with the resurrection of Jesus Christ in another week, okay? Let's pray.